This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Argentina are world champions. Julian Alvarez has a shiny gold medal. Sergio Aguero is once again after our heart. City return this week and we're back for good. It's Tuesday the 20th of November. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6. It's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. Campeones, welcome Adam. Now I've this is a city podcast, as you know, um, but I don't think I've celebrated a result quite like Argentina lifting the World Cup trophy because of the the context and the environment it was in. Um, it was pretty special, that wasn't it? I have to say, it was pretty special. Yeah, I definitely felt a bit more um, stress in that final than I did in any of the the US games. That's for sure. Same with just about everybody in the room, yeah. except for my one weird friend that was supporting France. That was uh, uh, getting stick for hundred twenty minutes. <laughs> I can't even remember his reasons, but um, but yeah, it was a fantastic game of football. Maybe the best final ever. Certainly the best final I've seen in my lifetime as a football fan. Um, especially yeah. given the context yeah. of it, you know, potentially being Messi's last World mm-hmm. Cup, most likely being his last World Cup, and and all that, it was um, it was exhilarating for about half of it. Half of it was was a stinker, but in a good way. Do you think? Because I, I think the only bit that really sort of didn't ebb and flow as much was in between halftime and France starting the comeback because I, I thought the first half performance from Argentina was was incredible like genuinely if you'd have, if you if it was a boxing match I hate doing this analogy but it works it checks out if it was a boxing match they'd have stopped it after 45 minutes because it was just so brutal Didier Deschamps taking two of his plays off on 38 minutes I thought on the whole I've maybe not the best standard 
But in terms of entertainment, I can't remember a football match quite like it. I can't remember a final quite like it, as you say. Yeah, exactly. It 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 switched from one team being just so much in the ascendancy to being, you know, basically 50-50 and two superstars just trying to will their mm-hmm. team over the line. So it was, yeah, it, it had everything, the narrative, the moments, you know, a bit of back and forth between the teams, between the benches. It, it was fantastic. And um, it was definitely the final that that tournament deserved from a footballing point of view. By two superstars, do you mean uh, Nicholas Otamendi and Adrian Rabio? <laughs> Is that who you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, absolutely. There? Yeah, I mean, look, Otamendi didn't put a foot wrong the whole tournament until that one mistake. But for yeah, a guy that yeah. we kind of think of as, apart from 18 months at City, we kind of think of him as, as this, you know, bumbling oaf um, for him to go out there yeah. and be a champion of the world is is fantastic and getting the team don't forget ahead of the best center back in the world Lissandro Martinez who is apparently to some the best signing of the summer as well so uh should, should we touch on the city aspects then because there, there were plenty and alongside the messy element to it that was probably for most people listening and getting maybe some were supporting France I'd, I'd sort of want to have words and conversations with them if that's the case but that was the main reason the sort of the Alvarez Otamendi and of course Aguero let's start with Alvarez then because he's the first City player since David Silva in 2010 to win the World Cup now disclaimer we don't recognize number 23 on this podcast I'm sure you know who that is so in my eyes first player since David Silva in 2010 to win the World Cup as a current City player and I, I sort of kept referring back to this tweet I put out sort of, when would it have been, sort of midway through the tournament saying that Argentina's hopes in this World Cup hinged on bringing Julian Alvarez into the team alongside, I think as well, uh, McAllister and Enzo Fernandez, who are all great for Argentina. But in terms of Alvarez, he really transformed that, that team from a sort of a, a machine that had potential when... Um, Latoro Martinez was starting up front and we saw his cameo. It wasn't exactly sort of the, the best of performances. But the 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 tournament Alvarez has had, I said he could be a breakout star. I think it goes beyond that. He was one of the players of the tournament. He wasn't. He was the absolute perfect partner for Leo Messi up top. You know, mm. Messi is going to kind of glide around and pick his moments to, you know, go into another gear. And and Alvarez doesn't have other gears. He just has one gear and that's just full pelt, you know. Um, and that's exactly... Like, have you ever cycled on... It's, it's a niche analogy, but have you ever cycled on... Um... A fixed wheel bike? No, I don't even know. I'm not even sure what that is. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think you were because because you lot in the US tend to sort of your Olympic sports aren't as cultured as this. But in tracks in in track cycling, the bikes don't have brakes and they're just fixed wheels, so they go round and round and round. And you just sort of to get up speed, you have to keep uh, those those pedals sort of uh, what's the word? You have to keep putting revolutions in the pedals. It goes round and round and round, and to speed down, you just sort of have to. To glide. That's how I imagine Julian Alvarez's internal system is is works out. Like he doesn't go from like you know sixty percent to ninety to fifty. It is just constantly. Uh, like if he looks at his acceleration, it's just a, a straight line going upwards. It, it's incredible how he operates. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's and it's perfect to partner him next next to Messi. And you know he's going to do all the running and the pressing, and he's going to win the ball back. And then, as we've said many times in this podcast, when he's playing in in a different blue shirt. Um, when he does win that ball back, he's you know a magician with it. And um, was it in the semifinal where he had the the goal where he he ran half the length of the pitch? And yeah, it's like yeah. it seemed like he had lost the ball about fifteen times in that run, and, yeah. and somehow still ends up with it. You know, two or three yards out from goal for essentially a tap mm. in. And yeah, he's superb, and I I can't wait to see 
kind of how this tournament kickstarts his life at City. Because obviously, I wouldn't say it's off to a slow start, but anybody who comes in playing second fiddle to Erling Holland is always going to mm. get you know minutes here and there. Um, but I'm really interested to see if you know this maybe turns Guardiola's head and he says, "Man, I got I got to get this guy on the field more often and and see where we go from there." So I'm really interested to see how this turns out. We'll we'll refer back to the other Argentina points. I, re- I I need to speak about Sergio Aguero. I've got this burning desire in my heart, as I'm sure we all do. But quickly then on on Alvarez and City, and when he returns, probably going to be looking at it in the new year. I reckon maybe uh, maybe Chelsea on January fifth is the first game that he he comes back. As I doubt I don't think we'll see him. We definitely won't see him for Liverpool. Doubt we'll see him for Leeds. Probably won't see him for Everton. So we're looking at Chelsea in the new year. Um, if you're Pep Guardiola now when he's coaching staff, but what conversations are you having? Because I'm not sure, regardless of who starts as the striker for City against 90% of the Premier League teams, you can set up with Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez in the squad. I just don't think the the way the Premier League works, the way the football goes, I don't think you can. However, one takeaway from this tournament for me in the big matches, and we spoke about it at the end of last season when City got knocked out in almost identical fashion to the World Cup final in the way Real Madrid and sort of France came back, that City needs to embrace the chaos a little bit. And I really, really do think in the big Champions League matches, sort of knockout stages from this point on, we could see Haaland and Alvarez play together and just sort of maybe surrender a little bit of that control. But as we saw in the World Cup with Argentina, embrace the chaos I guess is what I'm saying yeah I don't think just kind of from a tactical point of view I I don't think there's going to have to be a big system change in order to play them both Mm. centrally I mean obviously you can kind of stick them into your normal 4-3-3 and play them out wide which we've seen a few times we've seen Alvarez get most of his starts out wide if I can remember correctly he's got he's got a few through the the injury for Harlan he sort of got that, that starting role when he when Alan was out injured but yeah apart from that you're right um but look I mean just look at Phil Foden look at Cole Palmer and I know I know there's it's hard to make those comparisons because when Phil Foden was coming up as a 16 year old and we were begging for Pep to play him more he wasn't winning world cups at the senior level you know <laughs> same with Cole yeah. Palmer um so it's it's hard to make that comparison but when you look at at players like that and we're kind of begging for them to play more begging for them to play more Look at how Phil Foden turned out. You know, Cole Palmer, we see a bit more of him. And every time we see him, he seems to get better and better. And I fully trust in Pep Guardiola to utilize mm-hmm. Alvarez correctly and continue to develop him. I think the, a dumb coach sees this tournament performance and says, right, you're starting in the Premier League for me 90 minutes a game. We've seen that. How often have we seen players have a great tournament? They get thrown into a big team and, you know, they expect to to play like it's the World Cup for the rest of their career. The World Cup is special circumstances. Let's not forget that. It is very, you're in this controlled environment with this, its whole aura, its own vibe. You know, it's the Van Dyke of Mm. tournaments. It's got its own aura, you know? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think for me, continue what you're doing with him. He's getting drip fed into the team. He's getting more and more. Every time we see him, he's doing more and he's getting more playing time. I think that's the way to treat it. I think it's an important point because there's every chance in the next few months that we get to a point where, I don't know, the talk sport bulletins have got Jamie O'Hara complaining about how little minutes golden boy Julian Alvarez is getting in the in the 
desperately poor Manchester City squad and how someone, how Real Madrid, please come and save poor Julian Alvarez from the shackles of Pep Guardiola. When you spot on in the, in the sense that you Guardiola watching that and, and to sort of carry on the analogy with the, the coaching staff and having the conversations, probably don't change much, to be honest, does it? I, I think that there is the, there's a case, Julian Alvarez now has a, a, a solid case, if he didn't before, to say that, you know, I can do this job 90 minutes each game. Whether or not that is the how it plays out is it, something that we'll have to wait and see. They, they would have known that. You know, Pep Guardiola and his staff yeah. and the yeah, scouting yeah, yeah. team, the reason that they brought him from River Plate, the reason they tried to get him in the middle of the season, the reason they didn't send him out on loan is because they knew that he, they, that he had this in him. Yeah. This isn't going to be a surprise. They're not going to be like, oh, we've no, no, actually no. got a player on their hands. Yeah. By that, I meant from Julian Alvarez's camp. Because right. previously, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, would have, you could have said, he, he's come over from South America. He's not had much European football experience. Give him some time to bed in. I think this tournament, from his point of view, or so say his agent's point of view, or whoever his representatives are, they now have a case of saying, no, actually, if you want to be here long-term, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I'm just saying, potentially down the line. Um, speaking of Van Dijk, then, quickly... Does Nicholas Otamendi now have a bigger legacy than uh, Mr. Aura himself? I saw you send this tweet out uh, from from our <laughs> our podcast account. Uh, yeah, I mean, better player? No. Legacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, if, if we're saying legacy as winning big trophies and excelling in big moments, Otamendi has done it more than Van Dyke. Had Van Dyke, you know, I'm- made his breakthrough at 23 or 24 instead of 28, then, then yeah, it probably would be Van Dyke. But yeah, you can't argue with it. And to have knocked Van Dyke out of the World yeah. Cup as well. Well, obviously not personally, but been part of the team that did. Um, let's rattle through some of this and let, let's get to the big one. Um, on a scale of one to Sergio Aguero running around the Lucille iconic stadium pitch with a big drum and a and a, a few drumsticks beating it and then lifting Lionel Messi on top of his shoulders. How much did you enjoy watching Sergio Aguero run around the Lucille iconic stadium pitch with Lionel Messi on his shoulders? It, it was fantastic. I mean, you know, this is a guy that obviously had his football career taken from him in the end. You know, it, mm. obviously it was his decision to, to stop playing, but... Um, you know, you have to think he probably had three or four more years in him at least. Um, he probably would have been in this Argentina squad. And and clearly, the you know, you see the way in which the active players react to him being on the pitch and, and react to him lifting the trophy. You know, mm-hmm. he's obviously still a valued member of that team in the same way that, you know, a Scott Carson is, and and forgive me for making a comparison of Scott Carson to Sergio Aguero because their playing careers are completely Whoa. different. But in in the way that you yeah, know, yeah, what does Scott Carson really do from a footballing point of view? But he yeah. he's always going to be around because he's such an important member of the dressing room, and you know, obviously, I'm sure it was very comforting for for Messi to have him there because obviously they're best yeah. friends and they've always roomed together. And um, yeah, I think. <clears throat> it's probably beneficial to have Sergio not playing and kind of being almost like a neutral Mm. point of view for the guys that are going through this pressure packed moment. Um, But it was, it was incredible. And obviously, you know, we all love him. We all love him as a, as a player. We love him as a person. And I can't remember who I saw put this tweet out, but somebody, um, somebody put it out on Twitter saying, you know, this is what Pep meant when he said, we can't replace him. 
And when you, it was me. Was, okay. It was me. You That's okay. I, I thought it might have been, but I didn't want to say it was you. And it turned out it was one of our our audience yeah, members. No, and, no, no um, it was me. No, but it's spot on. It's spot yeah. on, isn't it? it what, because I, even now, I see people taking the piss out of that clip where Guardiola's on the pitch crying after Aguero's final game going, we can't replace him. And then what, 12 months later, Erling Haaland comes in and arguably, and I put this in quotation marks, arguably better player or potentially has the, the ability to go on to be a better player, arguing amongst yourselves of whether or not, that, not, whether or not that is the case. Um, but it was never about the football ability with Sergio Aguero, was it? And it, it was more about the personality. And even though he's obviously notoriously wasn't a very good English speaker in a squad that was probably 50% full of Spanish speakers themselves. He's a big cog in that. We saw what happened when Fernandinho left at the start of, so at the end of last season, start of this season. That was a big gap to fill. And a bit, uh, some people had to step up as leaders and perhaps some of our wobbles, albeit sort of, um, they haven't been catastrophic, so to speak, this season. Some of the wobbles could be placed down on the fact that you have a dressing room that is sort of turned upside down. It's going to affect the, the squad. And we don't see that from the TV cameras, from the terraces, from the pitch. We, we, you know, it's stuff you only see behind closed doors. Just on Aguero, though, I, I found the nicest part of it, perhaps, was the fact that he got to experience, as a supporter, what all of us got to experience in 2012. Because I feel as though, obviously, without knowing him, it, that he hasn't necessarily been able to comprehend the, the gravitas of 2012, in the sense that it meant, so much to so many people and will be remembered for generations and generations and generations. I feel like maybe with time it got a little bit better, but immediately Aguero felt like it was just a goal in a game that won a big club, a big trophy. But now you saw his reaction. You couldn't even watch Montiel take the final penalty. I can imagine it maybe hits home a little bit more because of that. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, his. it's always going to be in the back of his mind that, you know, I, I was supposed to be in this squad and, and you know, playing in these games and it might be me taking a penalty out there right now. And I'm sure that's always kind of weighing on him. Um, but for him to, you know, experience that with, you know, players that he's played with and, and his friends and um, it was an incredible moment. And and the, the best part about it for me was him wearing the Otamendi shirt. Um, it, which <laughs> is so so from? random, um, <laughs> but you know the the Blues have to stick together, so I love it. Yeah, our Argentinian Blues and whatnot. Um, I, what did you make of the? I, I know it's going to be a short answer because I've I've felt the same. But what did you make of the the criticism about him being there? And sort of we all know why he was there. And I found it ironic actually that he, he never had a great international career he was obviously part of the squad that won the Copa America in 2021 um obviously retired in the sort of the autumn after that but it was it was kind of it was fitting for me that perhaps his biggest contribution to Argentinian football international football came as I think the official line was uh assistant coach or something like that he obviously got a medal he was part of the background staff he was basically a cheerleader but that that role I can imagine being so important. Yeah, some people just haven't been able to recognise the the fact why he was there. They just thought he was there for a holiday, which is it's sad in a way, isn't it? I'd say for anyone who's doubting his role in it, um, has probably never played a team sport and never experienced yeah, anything yeah. like it. Genuinely, I mean, you, or, or has no friends in general. Yes, um, I think as the kids would say, go out and touch some grass and then come back to it. <laughs> Oh, I wondered where you were going with that. <laughs> um, but no, for me, every you know, there was one moment that kind of captured how important he still is to this team and still was in this tournament. And that was, you know, when he was live on Twitch, as he often is, 
um, and he had he had Messi on online with him, and mm. I think he said to him. Obviously, this is all in Spanish, but I think he said to him, and Messi was in his room at the hotel, and obviously they've always bunked together at tournaments. Yeah, yeah. Um, he said to him, "Oh, who's in your room?" And Messi said, "Our room." Oh. And it, <laughs> I, it just yeah. you know it just broke and melted my heart all in one. Yeah, um, and and yeah. if that doesn't tell you how much he's still valued by mm. not only Messi but the rest of the squad, then you know I can't really help you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the godfather to at least one of his children. I don't know if it's it's um, anymore, but he's an integral part of Lionel Messi's life and. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? The small connections, obviously, Lionel Messi was close to signing for City. Maybe it had been a little bit different um, if he had. But the small connections we have to the, sort of the wider, the greatest picture. Um, let's leave the World Cup behind then because as sort of uh, on the opposite end of the scale, do you see Salt Bay turned up on the pitch? And um, <laughs> if you go from one sort of side of it with Aguero deserving to be there, he absolutely had no questions about it anyway. And then you see Salt Bay trying to grapple the World Cup trophy off um, off Lionel Messi. Uh, final closing statements on the 2022 World Cup then before we leave it behind for good. Yeah, I... Um... I feel I have a lot of conflicting emotions still, just as we did going into this tournament. You know, we were really mm. conflicted on how to digest it, how to enjoy it. Um, from a footballing point of view, fantastic. I, I enjoyed the U.S.'s tournament. Um, mm. I enjoyed from the knockouts onwards I, I because I found it hard to enjoy for off-the-field reasons. The group stage was a bit of a, a slog for me. Um, but once we got into the knockouts, I was really into it. Um, you know, I think for me, definitely the most entertaining tournament from a footballing point of view that I've experienced. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I saw somebody on Twitter, it wasn't you, I'm pretty sure, um, <laughs> say, and I should probably start writing these down so I can credit people, but I just, yeah, it, it, this all it's happens in my, in my doom scrolling, you know, while I'm sitting on the toilet or something. Um, so I, I'm not really thinking about it, but you know, someone basically saying, the one thing that kind of always made this World Cup lesser was the fact that I was waiting for club football to come back because it's in the middle of the season and you're still thinking about mm. the league table. You're still thinking about, mm. um, you know, an upcoming game against Liverpool. You're still thinking about, you know, how does Holland continue to fit in and, and what's Alvarez's role going forward. And mm. um, you're still thinking about other things. Whereas if it's in the summer, there's nothing else. You're just thinking about the World yeah. Cup and, and you're sad to see it go because it returns you back to a footballless world. Whereas now it's like we mm. click right back in, you know, the, the World Cup final was barely 24 hours ago. And here we are already back on the podcast talking about mm. how we go forward with City. So I think that kind of was always in the back of my mind. Um, but other than that, I enjoyed 60% of it. Interesting, because I, I think even though you're not European, it's a very European-centric view because we saw the scenes in Argentina where, where obviously this is the first World Cup they've ever had. Uh, I'm pretty sure in saying it, they've ever had where it's been out of season. So, you know, European leagues do return for some people across the globe. It doesn't. I, I, I have a very similar I have a very similar attitude to it. I think it was on the football it was it was spectacular and it pains me to say it because it had been it'd been nice in a way or it had been justified in a way if the tournament was dreadful. But it wasn't, and I suppose Qatar, as we saw with the sort of the, the stunt with the Bichette in the in the final presentation with Messi, you know they're going to have a lasting imprint on this, and that's exactly what they wanted. Their their name, their face, their ideology, their sort of the culture will be everywhere. 
for some that may be good. We saw incredible scenes with Arab supporters, particularly of Morocco and Saudi Arabia. That's fantastic. Football's a global game. The World Cup's a global tournament. However, it comes back to it. And, and the fact two migrant workers died during the tournament sort of echoes what was being said before. But it's done. It's dusted. It was a great tournament. There's still lots of problems going forward. I mean, in the middle of the tournament, FIFA announced the Club World Cup, which is going to take place every four years with 32 teams. It's ever, it never stops. The, the problems never stop, and I'm sure we'll be back to speak about them. Um, that'll do for part one. We'll be back in a mo to refocus our attention on Manchester City. Welcome back to the City Report podcast then. Um, Adam, quickly, before we get going on City, it's the first podcast we've done since the, the horrible, tragic news about Grant Wall's death. Now, um, I'm going to pass over to you very quickly to sort of p- for people... Primarily, I'm guessing UK listeners, US listeners will know that name in a heartbeat and probably shared the tragedy. But who was Grant Wall? Why was he important? Why was he important to you as well? And how has that news been digested over in the States? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's kind of worth pointing out that this is obviously, you know, we're kind of late to the to the show yeah, here yeah, in regards yeah. to speaking about him. But this is obviously our first episode back since his his horrible passing. Um you know, Grant was a Mount Rushmore figure of sports journalism in this country, not just mm. football. You know, this is a guy that um, he wrote LeBron's first ever Sports Illustrated cover when LeBron was a teenager. You know, he, he he's yeah. way more than just a journalist in the world of American soccer. Um, but he was probably the most important voice on the sport in this country. You know, he's been writing about the sport since before MLS even existed. Um, Mm. He's a huge advocate. He was a huge advocate for um, women playing the sport. And, um, you know, he was always one of the first to, you know, call it the men's world cup and speak about the records in the men's world cup. And, and, you know, you know, the women's world cup was its own thing. And, um, and above all that, and and most importantly, he was, you know, I I didn't know him personally, but everyone who did, um, and you can see just from the reaction online, that he was an amazing human being. And, um, you know, almost everybody in this industry that we work in has a story where, you know, they wouldn't be where they are without Grant Wall. And, and, and you know, stories of people saying, you know, Grant didn't know me personally, but he DM'd me on Twitter one day and said, hey, The Athletic has this opening in their, you know, mm-hmm. marketing department. You would be perfect for that. Go apply to that job and things like that. And he was somebody that lifted everybody up around him when there was no reason for him to, you know, cause he to us was, was kind of a God of, of writing about this sport and other sports. And, um, obviously no, no human's death, death is more important than others. Every, everybody's death counts the same, but he's just kind of somebody that to people like me, um, it doesn't really make sense a world without him because he was just such mm. an ever present voice on this sport. And, you know, he had a daily podcast and a daily blog and, um, it doesn't, it won't ever really sink in that, you know, we won't hear that voice again. We won't Mm. see that writing again. And, um, yeah, horrible tragedy. And obviously I can speak for you and everybody else on this podcast and saying that we're, you know, thinking about his family as his wife is a very, very, very important person in this country works directly with Joe Biden every day. Um, so they were, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a power couple, um, and mm. obviously we're, we're thinking about her and all of the rest of his family and friends as well. 
Yeah, yeah, nicely done. Um, I, I just felt it was important because, like you say, it's the first podcast since, and I, I know it, I, I, I can't sort of put into words for for non US listeners or, or people who haven't sort of followed his work just how integral and important he was. He, you know, I'm, I assume he was the first person you saw in soccer slash football media growing up. He was the person who would have turned turned many 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 thousands interested into the sport so yeah um horrible horrible stuff but you know unfortunately the world goes on and and we'll we'll refocus our attentions then onto City um a couple of days ago apparently I didn't know much about it City had a friendly against (laughs) Sharona uh 2-0 victory now now I tell a lie I didn't know about it I was a little bit apathetic to it. I don't know about you, Adam. I've since watched the highlights. I actually was going to go, and then I, I got in the night before from seeing some friends, um, Christmas drinks, whatnot, at about 3 a.m. The kickoff was 1, 1 p.m. I woke up at about 11, 12, and thought, yeah, that's not happening. Uh, crawled back into bed and, and then sort of found out the score later on. I've watched the highlights. As you'd expect, City looked good. A couple of goals, Haaland, De Bruyne. Um, not much to say about it other than the fact that City really, and this goes for mid-season, it goes for pre-season, Guardiola and City really don't like scheduling a lot of friendlies, do they? No, they don't. Um, This one, I think, was definitely necessary. You know, when you see some of the players that got on the pitch, obviously the, you know, the back four was mostly youth players and, but the, you know, the front six and Gundogan, Gomez, De Bruyne, Mares, Holland, Palmer, you know, it's guys, it's it's Mm. good to get guys like that. The minutes, obviously, you know, we saw, the De Bruyne Holland connection was not um, erased during the World Cup break. I don't think any of us expected it to be, um, but you know, I think it's just good to kind of get back in that mode. And you know, there'll be guys like Gundogan and, and De Bruyne who are coming off of heartbreaking tournaments, and um, I think it's good to kind of get back and, and flip the club switch and get back to you know hearing Guardiola's voice in your ear every ten seconds as opposed to you know your 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 international manager and the pressure of the tournament and stuff. So yeah, I think all in all, um, good to get it out of the way and, and get it over with and kind of refocus now on competitive games, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how players filter back. You know, we remember obviously from the euros, they were kind of coming back at random times. You know, I don't think the England players came back until after mm-hmm. first couple of games in, in the domestic season that year. So, um, yeah, I think all in all, just good to get, the blood flowing again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I on the highlights I listened to it was the the city's own, and it was Alistair Mann on commentary, and he was saying actually uh, the players who were involved in this in this friendly were obviously those who senior players who didn't go to the World Cup and slash or those who were knocked out in the group stage. Now, you said heartbreaking tournament for Kevin De Bruyne. I actually don't think he was that arsed. He was saying before the tournament how he didn't think Belgium could win it. He actually he actually looks like he's probably more more comfortable and happier playing for City. Um, then Alistair Mann said that the likes of Akanji and the Spanish lads who got knocked out in the last 16 will come back next. Then the quarterfinals, so uh, England and that other lot let's not go back into that let's not unearth those wounds obviously as we said Alvarez probably will be a little bit later so it will be a case I reckon of get used to seeing a couple of those youth team players because not only are they going to be featuring a lot they're going to be needed because as we've mentioned a lot of times it's an urban myth that City have a deep squad and as we get into this sort of Less hectic as usual, but still important Christmas period. We've got three competitions across, what, two weeks, three weeks with the FA Cup, Premier League, League Cup, before the Champions League then returns in February. 
those sort of the likes of Rico Lewis, as we know, has been a, a key part. But you know, Charles Katongo, Rogers, they're going to be they're going to be needed. They're, they're definitely going to be needed as we get into this sort of next couple of weeks. Yeah, they are, and you know, I think it'd be no um, it'd be no surprise to see people like Rico Lewis maybe featuring in you know the Liverpool game or even possibly mm-hmm. league games coming up. Um, I'd be interested to see kind of an, an exact date on when some of the players are going to start to come back um, just so we can kind of yeah. line it up with, with the fixture list. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of names that maybe you've never seen before, unless, you know, you're following the under 18s or the EDS side um, potentially being, you know, in the squad for, for big games in, you know, the Premier league or the FA cup or whatever it might be. Um, and like you said, that's, it's probably going to be needed because I don't know what the what the squad count is right now because you know there's obviously a couple of players that are kind of half youth players, half um, senior players. But you know, last season I think it was only 18 senior players in the squad. Um, mm. If you you know eliminate half of them for still being on their World Cup break, you know you're looking at a lot a lot of new blood coming mm. in. So it could be an exciting time. You know, it might be. It might be shades of Manuel Pellegrini going to Stamford Bridge with, um, oh, God. you know, a clown car full of toddlers. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it might be an exciting time to see some new names. Who, who was the who? I distinctly remember there being either one or two senior players that played that game. You had Caballero in net. Who was was it? Zabaleta or Sanya or someone like that? I'm, it was literally like I'm gonna find sixteen it. year old, sixteen year old, sixteen year old, seventeen year old, eighteen year old, nineteen year old, sixteen year old, and then just like this this one senior player. I think it might have been Bakri Sanya, and then Ian Acho up front. Um, but yeah, that 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 game was that game was a comedy sketch, wasn't it? I still see that lineup graphic bobbing about every now and again, and it just sort of it reminds us how lucky we are. And that wasn't even the dark days, as um, I'm sure uh, uh, many will be uh, sort of. Keen to point out, um, it's 38 days then since Brentford beat Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium. Um, Adam, has that given you enough time to emotionally recover from that match? Are you ready for it to return? And obviously, it's a it's a big one. We'll do a, a full Liverpool preview um, the day of the match. But Carabao Cup fourth round game against Liverpool. In terms of that, in that stage of the competition, you know Manchester City famous famously getting easy draws all the time. It probably doesn't get much bigger than that. Yeah, as far as the Brentford game goes, I had completely forgotten that even happened. Oh, I'm sorry. Everything? I'm sorry. No, it's it's fine. Everything pre World Cup is a complete blur to me now, and. It feels like a different season. Yeah. It feels like that didn't that this is like a new campaign. For total transparency for our listeners, you and I both started new jobs over the World Cup. Yeah, um, yeah true. So I feel like I'm in a complete new life now. Um, <laughs> You've reincarnated. I've reincarnated, yes. Back. I'm a rock now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everything pre-World Cup is a complete blur to me. So I'm gonna have to go back in, kind of check the league table, and and you know maybe look back at some of the old fixtures. Thankfully, City did put out on their YouTube channel um, a goal compilation, every goal from the season up to this point. So I'm gonna give wow. that a watch before. I think I've already watched yeah. a few minutes of it and got interrupted, but I'm gonna give that a watch before the Liverpool game and kind of jog the memory on what's happened so far in this season. Um, but yeah, I mean Liverpool at home. Um, to, to kind of restart the domestic season is, you know, I think it's going to be a bit of a weird one. Um, 
especially given the fact last time that we met them, there was a lot of off the pitch issues with the fans mm. and the clubs. And, um, you know, we now have this issue as well of the ticket prices for this game. I don't know, you know, you'd be more keyed yeah. in on this than me. I don't know if they've dropped since, you know, there's been some complaints about the, the prices and, um, it just feels probably like the least important city Liverpool game since maybe the empty stadium. I don't know if that's because I'm coming back yeah. from I'm coming back from the World Cup and I haven't fully switched back into to the city mode. Um, but I'm not. I don't care. Like I'm I'm not mm. two or three days before a game against Liverpool. I'm normally you know checking to see if they have injuries, checking to see you know I'm watching Klopp's pressers and stuff like that, mm. and I haven't really put any thought to it. No, it, it's remarkable, isn't it? You mentioned the tickets, uh, the ticket situation. Now, I'm just scrolling through City's website, and we are at the point of recording what three days out from the game, and there are, I'd say, it's not widespread availability, but I'd say there's probably more than 500, 600 tickets available to purchase still, which pretty astonishing for a game against Liverpool. Yeah, it, it, it's unheard of, and that's primarily because the cheapest ticket price at this point is £37.50. Now, I'm sure for those who sort of aren't regulars at sort of English football, we'll be looking at that going, you know, that sounds really cheap compared to an NFL or an NBA game or whatever. But considering this is an extra match, an extra cup match, it's the fourth round of the League Cup, which is historically the least glamorous. Well, I don't know for City, maybe they're sort of buying in on the Carabao nonsense, but it's the least glamorous of the, of the cup competitions. It's also three days before Christmas and they're charging closer. So by the time you get your food, you get your drinks, you get your travel, whatnot, for some maybe taking time off work, you're looking at like a a 60 quid day each to go and watch Liverpool at home in the fourth round of the League Cup. For want of a better word, it's appalling. It really is appalling. And I don't know what the club are expecting because like I said, it's not sold out. If If this was a league game against Liverpool as it has been in the past, months ago as soon as that draw was made as soon as the tickets were released give it a day or two they'd be gone that just sort of sums it up a little bit and it's, it's really disappointing because how long is it ago since city were announcing club record profits and what three days before christmas 40 quid tickets hey yeah not nice is it it's not um and i think we're probably about ready to wrap it up so before we do that i want to play a game with you so i am going back to my hometown outside, right outside of Washington, DC. I'm getting on a flight tomorrow night. Um, and while I'm home for the holidays, I'm going to a Caps game in the NHL. Anybody who follows me on Twitter will know that my second love mm. is the Washington Capitals. Um, my mom and I are going to the game Friday night, not against a rival. We are less than halfway through the regular season, you know, not a playoff game. I have selected one single ticket in the highest level at the very back row of the of the highest tier of the stadium directly center ice can you guess my total at checkout i've got a cart loaded here can you guess my total for one ticket oh it's going to be ridiculous it's going to be like 120 dollars or something yeah you're actually you're actually above only slightly but you're actually above go on $111.40 Wow. So I've got an America baby ninety one dollar ticket, fourteen dollar service fee, a six dollar order processing fee, and then I would get some taxes in there. <laughs> Those robots getting the order processing yes. fee. Wow, America baby, land of the free yes. and the expensive. Free tickets. to spend your money. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Finally, then Jack Grealish in New York, living out his Home Alone dream. How adorable was that? That is the funniest. He, that man, plays football like you know an absolute gem, like a, a mature yeah. gem of a footballer. But if he were not a footballer, he it would be what is it, Benjamin Button's disease, where you're aging backwards <laughs> because he looks. And he, and he talks and he walks like an adult, but he acts like an absolute six-year-old. And I love it. I love the, I love yeah, the innocence yeah. that is still there. And somehow he's not been tainted yeah. by this horrible, evil world. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Where does that innocence come from? He is the uh, football gets in the way of a really nice life for Jack Grealish, doesn't it? It's, it's just a shame that he has to get on the pitch and do that thing, kicking a ball about. Um, right. Okay. A little bit of a longer episode today because it's the first one, but plenty to speak about. But um, I guess I'll, I'll sort of quickly run through the schedule for the quote unquote holiday season, as you would say, Adam. Um, episodes every day this week. I've think maybe we'll have to check that next week none on boxing day because that is a big thing here in the uk adam just thought it was a, a, a day where we all go to the pub and, and punch shit out of each other um no episode the day after that we'll be back on the day of the 28th i think might change it might it is it is subject to change and subject to my uh how hungover you and I are probably going to be, but um, yeah, it's fun to get back, fun to get back in the rhythm of things, a little bit of a mid-season friendly for us all today, so yeah, Adam, thank you very much for that, it's been a pleasure. Yes, and I think public service announcement, we are done talking about the World Cup, this was it. It's gone, it's done. City are back. Hello, hello. City are back, City are back, hello, hello, and thank you for listening, we'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.